New Song students, make some noise. Man, we made it, y'all. Look to your neighbor and say, we made it. Can you believe it? Who's excited to be at camp right now? Man, we've been praying for six months, looking forward to this night for six months, straight prepping, praying, inviting Jesus to be a part of this. And um, so I'm just praying that this week, the next three days, um, that the Lord just meets you in a, in a seriously special and unique way, personally, just for you. I'm also praying that um, there are no casualties this week with uh, team games starting tonight. Who's ready for team games? Which team is, t- which team is coming home with the trophy this week? Yes. Yes, y'all, I love y'all's energy. I, I knew y'all had energy the last two years, but this year is something special. So, and I'm gonna try and, uh, uh, not, I, I feel like I already have lost my voice and I already have a sunburn. Anybody else? Like this, this week is not starting off great if I already have a sunburn and I'm already losing my voice. But who's ready for the word of God tonight? Okay, we're gonna jump straight in. I hope that's okay with you guys. Get out your Bible. Um, cause you definitely cannot be taking out your version app tonight cause we took your phones. I'm sorry, but you, uh, go ahead and turn over with me to revelation 22. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Revelation 22. And we're going to look at the last two verses in the entire Bible. That's what we're going to do tonight. And, um, I don't know about you, but being here right now in this moment is, extremely surreal like it's crazy that we're here tonight that we made it that this is our camp like I don't know about you but I just feel so blessed are you guys thankful to be here like some of you guys I want to remind you like some of you guys are in this room and you weren't sure that you were going to make it here tonight whether that's because of family schedules or maybe you were a person who um, financially you weren't sure if you're going to be able to make it um but look at you, God showed up, God provided for you. What a gift this week is gonna be for you, amen? And um, this is kind of what I wanna start off with is the fact that this camp, what we're about to experience over the next three days is a gift. Somebody say a gift. Now, um, I've got a question for you. Have you ever received a gift from somebody, but the gift was really nice And so they gave it to you, but they also gave you some instructions with it. Like maybe they gave it to you and it was fragile. And so they told you, hey, be careful with this gift. Because if you drop it, it's really fragile and it'll break. Has anybody ever received something fragile before? Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, Have you ever received something where the box made you think that what you were going to get was bigger than what it actually was? And you didn't read the fine print that said, not actual size. Have you ever been there before? Like maybe somebody, I don't know, gave you like a, like a chocolate bar and you thought it was going to be as big as your head. But then you opened the box and it was like tiny because you didn't read the fine print that said not actual size. Well, what I want to talk about tonight, what I want to accomplish is this. I actually want to give us um, some instructions for the gift that you're about to receive over the next three days, which is camp. I want to set some expectations straight And I want to talk about um, how sometimes camp is not actual size. And I want to get to that in just a second. Now, if you know my wife, Haley, who loves Haley? Um, I wish she was here. She's she's with the baby right now, Um, which Marlo's not a baby anymore. That's kind of crazy. She's two and a half now. It's weird. But my wife, Haley, if you don't know Haley, she uh, loves little treats. Like she loves to buy little treats almost every single day, any treat people. And not only that, but um, Haley, she is the queen at justifying a reason to get a treat. Like she loves to make something worth celebrating. So Haley will literally do things like this. She'll be like, Jackson, it's Friday. We should celebrate by going to get Brahms. Or or she'll literally say things like, um, hey, I passed my exam today, so we should all celebrate as a family and go get boba tea tonight. Or she'll say, hey, we both had good Thursdays. We should go celebrate. Like, 
she loves to find a reason um, to celebrate because these little treats that she buys, they bring her joy in life. And um, that's not always a good thing when you're trying to celebrate every single day for something. It's not good for the budget. And um, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm the boring uh, frugal husband that like feels bad spending $3 um, on a drink. And so, which is that, that's not good either. That's not a good um, comparison, but this is where Haley and I are very different. And um, every now and then Haley will ask me like, hey, can we go get some, some treats tonight? Can we go get some Brahms? And I'll say this, I'll say, well, realistically, and she hates that word so much. I'll say, realistically, um, we shouldn't because we should be saving money. And when I say that word realistically, I get it. Like that's a, that's a pessimistic sounding word, is it not? It doesn't sound like a faith word, realistically. Um, but when I say it, it's not fun to hear, I get it. It sounds pessimistic. And sometimes when I say realistically, Haley knows I'm actually not being realistic, I'm being fearful about our budget. So I understand that. But what I wanna do tonight is I wanna get realistic with us. Is that okay? Um, I wanna kick off camp with some instructions on how to steward um, some of the encounters that you're gonna have with God over the next 72 hours and give us some good vision for how to see this gift rightly. Because I think it's safe to say that every single person in this room tonight has different expectations about what's gonna happen here. We all approach this gift we all approach the table of Jesus. You guys like those shirts, by the way, with the table on the back? We all, we all, hashtag Maddie Brown. Um, we all approach the table of Jesus and our experiences with him with different expectations. And some of you are here tonight, and let's just be honest, let's just go there tonight. Some of you are here and you don't even wanna be here. You don't wanna be here. Maybe your parents made you come. And so you're here and it's not by choice. Maybe you're here and for you, it's hard to be here because you feel like you don't know anybody yet. And so your expectations for camp are pretty low over the next three days. Maybe you're here tonight and um, your expectations are low because you doubt God. And so you're not even sure if like this whole thing we just did is like even real. You don't, you don't see the point in it. You're, you're, you're questioning if this Christian thing is actually a real thing at all. You don't see the point. So some of us are here tonight and our, our expectations are low. Some of us are here tonight and your expectations are way too high. You find yourself at camp like how I found myself at camp when I was in high school. And this is how I would treat my summer camps. I would come into camp and I would expect camp to solve all of my issues in just three days. And like you're here at camp and you're like, God is going to check off every single box on my wish list. Like I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna hear the audible voice of God every single session. You're like, I'm here and I'm gonna see miracles. I'm gonna see somebody's leg grow right in front of my face. Like I'm gonna be here and at camp, God's gonna miraculously free me from that sin that I've been struggling with for years and years and years. Some of you are here and you're like, man, I'm gonna come to camp and like, I'm just gonna open up God's word and I'm gonna fully understand everything I'm reading finally. Maybe you're here tonight and your expectation is like, maybe God's gonna do something this year at camp that finally sends me home with a fire that never goes out. Maybe that's what you're expecting to happen. See, we all show up to camp with different expectations. Some of them are too low, like I mentioned. Some of them are too high, like I mentioned. And what I wanna do tonight is address the gift because what we're about to do is a, is a gift. I hope you know that. Camp is a gift and I want us to be able to steward it well so you can get everything that God has for you because here's the deal, if your expectations are too low, then it doesn't matter what happens at camp. You could actually see miracles happen and you would still go home disappointed. You know why I know that? Because there were people that saw the resurrected Jesus. They knew the disciples who knew Jesus firsthand they saw Jesus do miracles right in front of their eyes and they still did not believe in him. So if your expectations are too low, it doesn't matter what happens in this room, you will go home and you will justify away what happened. But 
if your expectations are too high, like maybe you, you, you're here tonight and your expectations are like how I was when I went to church camp and you think God's gonna fix your entire life in the next three days um, and you're gonna go home struggle-free. You're gonna go home with a fire that literally cannot be quenched no matter what you face. If that's you tonight, I'm, I hate to break it to you, but you will go home disappointed after camp. And so what I wanna preface with is this. I know this sounds uber depressing and this is the first session of camp. Here's what I believe. I believe in marking moments. I believe in encounters from God. I believe in miracles. Does anybody else believe in those things in this room tonight? I believe in all of those things and I even, I expect us to see all of those things this week at camp. I expect to see miracles. I expect to hear of testimonies. I expect Jesus to wreck your life here this week. I really do. Do you, New Song students? But here's what I know. No matter what happens at camp over the next three days, camp does not have the power to sustain your walk with God a month from now. Camp doesn't have the power to do that. Realistically speaking, and I can see Haley's eyes roll back into her head as I say that. Realistically speaking, no matter what happens at camp. Camp is gonna be powerful, but it's not gonna be powerful enough to sustain your walk with God two months from now when real life kicks in, when school starts back up, when the bullies show up. Like what happens at camp is not gonna sustain you for those moments. And sometimes I think we get disappointed because the way we do church sometimes, I think packages to us that services can do that that services have the power to change you. But what I wanna to do tonight is just be honest and say, hey, not actual size. Like God wants to move here, but what happens here is not going to change you in a way that's gonna give you the power to walk with God for the rest of the year. But I do have an answer. I know that sounded really like gloom and doom. Here's the good news. Are you guys ready for the good news? There's an answer. And um, one of the beautiful things uh, about walking with Jesus, this is, so cool. But the longer that you walk with Jesus, the more you start to realize that God does not waste a single thing you walk through in life. Like he doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste your past. He uses it all. He doesn't waste your past sins, your past conversations, your past relationships, your past circumstances. God literally uses everything in your story for his glory and for your good. Do you believe that? God uses everything. And the cool thing about being a disciple for longer periods of time is that the longer you're a disciple, the more you start to see God literally use everything in your story. And I've talked about this a couple of times in New Song Students where God used things in the past that I had totally forgotten about to get me where I am today. Like a couple months ago, I shared this. When I was in college, um, the Lord invited me to start a men's prayer group called Solid Rock. And um, we had these really cool t-shirts with like a dagger on the back for the sword of the spirit. It was so cool. And um, Solid Rock was our name and we got Solid Rock. I felt like God gave me Psalm 40, which says that God lifted me up out of the miry bog and he placed my feet on a solid rock or a firm foundation. So we named this prayer group Solid Rock. Little did I know Four years later, God was gonna invite me to be a part of a church that is based out of Psalm 40 called New Song. And God was preparing me for a new song during those solid rock years. And that, I don't know about you, I just think that's really dope. Like God uses everything. But not only that, um, this last week I was thinking about this. The Lord reminded me of a conversation I had with my grandfather before he died that I totally forgot about. And so I wanted to share this with you. My grandfather's, uh, his name is Alphonse Castellana. That's a name right there, y'all, right? Alphonse Castellana. He, like, that sounds like a mafia lord, right? Like, you don't wanna mess with Alphonse Castellana. And he honestly was like one of the coolest dudes on the planet. He passed away three years ago, but he was, one of the most amazing men I've, I've ever had the privilege of knowing, and he was a man of many talents. He, um, he was a Marine. Uh, any Marines in the house? No, you guys are students. What am I talking about? <laughs> any Marines in the house? Uh, he was an artist. He was a sculptor. He uh, was a deacon in the Catholic Church. He had five kids. I don't even know how many grandkids this dude had. 
my cousins, there's a lot of us. But this guy, Alphonse Castellana, loved Jesus so much. And I didn't realize how much my grandfather loved Jesus until I got a little older and started having conversations with him because I loved Jesus. And I remember one time, my brother and I, we were on this beach vacation with my grandfather and we're sitting at the pool on these like uh, rinky-dinky furniture table. We're not sitting on the tables. We're sitting in rinky-dink furniture. And um, our grandfather is just talking about the Lord. He's just talking about Jesus. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where like you could hear them talk about Jesus forever? And this is me and my brother. We're just like on the edge of our seat. And he's just talking about all these things the Lord has done. He's talking about all these things God has told him in the past. And um, we're sitting there and uh, he looks at me and my brother. He's been following the Lord for 60 plus years. And he asks us this question. He says, guys, do you wanna know what the most important prayer you can pray is? Would you wanna know? if? <laughs> Yeah, I would, yeah. So me and my brother look at each other and we're like, yeah, we want to know. He's like, do you want to know what the most important prayer a believer can learn to pray is? And we're obviously like leaning off of the edge of our seats. We're like, yes, please give us the cheat code to how to pray. And he looks at me and he says, well, it's the last two verses in all of scripture. It's a prayer that sums up every single prayer you could ever pray. And it's wrapped up in one phrase. And he looks at my brother and I and he says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase Maranatha. And my grandfather told me, you get Jesus, you don't need anything else. So the best prayer you can ever pray is come Lord Jesus. Let me show you this, Roman, or Revelations 22, verse 20 and 21. This is the last two verses in all of the Bible. Think about this. It says this, he who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus talking, surely I am coming soon. And then this is the phrase right here, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you just say that with me? Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. So tonight, what I wanna do is I wanna set the stage and lay the foundation for really the rest of what we're gonna be talking about and focusing on and hopefully going home with, and that's the Maranatha cry. And I wanna talk about the most important prayer you can learn to pray. Would you guys pray with me? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes real quick. Come Lord Jesus. God, I thank you so much for tonight. What a gift it is to be in this room. What a gift it is to be here with my New Song students family. God, I look at the room tonight and I see some people who are hungry for you. But God, all of us, we all need you. And we all want you. We want more of you. And if there are those who don't know that they want you yet, God, would you wake our hearts up tonight? And we just all posture our hearts and we, we agree with that prayer that you close the entire scriptures with. And we just say in our hearts, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. In Jesus name, and everybody said, amen. Okay, I'm just curious. Is there uh, anybody in the room who struggles with this thing called hanger? Hanger, starting with an H, hanger. Anybody hangry every now and then? Always, always, hopefully not. We'll pray that out in Jesus' name. Um, I, uh, I'm one very blessed man because not only did I marry my wife, who gets hangry often, um, but my daughter Marlo inherited her traits. And so um, it's a hangry house in the Wilson house. And you don't want to be on their bad sides. And you don't want to be on any side whenever they are hangry for that matter. Um, come on, is anybody like this? Anybody hangry? You know somebody like this? If you don't know somebody like this, then you are that person. Like, yes, you're that person right there. Malia, you're that person, yes. So um, if you don't know, um, Haley is currently going to school for a doctor in physical therapy and her school is in Philadelphia. She's in a hybrid program and so um, she does school mostly online 
but three to four times a year, she has to fly out to Philadelphia to do school in person. And this last month, she had uh, to take her longest immersion trip. It was like 15 days long, which is a long time. And so we made it a family trip. We are like, let's just all go to Philadelphia. So this last uh, week, myself, my daughter Marlo, and then my mother-in-law Angie, we all flew out to Philadelphia to go see Haley. And uh, this was my first time traveling with a toddler. Now, <clears throat> I know I look like I got it all together on Wednesday nights with her, um, but traveling with a toddler is a whole different story. Annie, right? Um, I learned my lessons. You know what, the main lesson I learned is you need to have snacks on you at all time or you're done. And um, that is what I learned because, <laughs> don't get me wrong, Marlo did a really good job traveling. Like for a two and a half year old, I'm seriously, I'm so proud of her. She did so good. Um, but I would be lying if there weren't like one or two really terrible temper tantrums that took place. Um, there, was a, there was a couple that I was like, this could win an award, it's so bad. And um, the first one, <laughs> the first one was on the flight. Uh, so we're on our way to Philly and she did so good the whole flight, seriously. Like she had her little iPad and her, she doesn't have an iPad yet, it was, it was Haley's mom's, but she had an iPad. Some of y'all are like, you guys are iPad parents, but uh, sometimes we are. But you'll be an iPad parent too when you're a parent. Um, so she was doing so good, she had her little headphones on, she's watching Monsters, Inc. for the 10,000th time. And uh, she was doing so good, but then when we landed, she fell asleep. And so I just, I let her fall asleep. I let her stay asleep. And once we landed, like, you know, people start bustling because they want to get out of the plane. And so at some point I was like, okay, I'm going to need to pick her up soon. And like, hopefully I can do it really gently. And she just stays asleep and gets on my shoulder. And then we can just get out of here, like just all, all roses and flowers and it's all nice. So I go to pick her up because we landed and people are starting to get up. And the second I pick her up, it was like instant regret. Instant regret. Because I pick her up and I scared her a little bit, and she lost it. And let me remind you, it's like 11.30 at night when we landed in Philadelphia. So she, everybody wants to get off this plane. I pick her up, and she is losing it, like screaming bloody murder. Her face is bright red. She, her body is contorting. It looks like she is manifesting a demon on this plane. <laughs> and um, and uh, she did that off the plane all the way through the airport, all the way to baggage claim until we got to Haley and Haley, thank the Lord, had some gummy bears in her pocket. And we popped a gummy bear in her mouth and it was like in a second, she was an angel. <laughs> and we realized, oh, she was hungry, right? The second time is uh, even funnier because um, it's the next night and we're trying to find dinner and there's this really annoying thing about Philadelphia and it's that every single restaurant is closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. I don't know why, I really don't. So, you know, obviously we're from Oklahoma, Haley and I are originally from Texas, and when you're in Philadelphia, you wanna eat food that's only in Philadelphia, right? So we're looking and driving around for like an hour trying to find a place that is open so we can have dinner. We couldn't find a single place. We ended up at Texas Roadhouse in Philadelphia. So, so we're already like disappointed walking in. We're tired, we're hungry, we're sad because we're eating at Texas Roadhouse in Philadelphia. And um, we get to our seat and I kid you not, the second we sat in our booth, meltdown, temper tantrum, Marlo is losing her mind. It's so bad that our waiter is over here and he's like trying to get our, our, our drink orders and he can't even hear us because she is losing her mind. And so Haley takes her out and I'm looking at Angie, my mother-in-law, and we're like trying to figure out a game plan. We're like, okay, is this like a just take it home kind of meal or do we try and push through? Like, what are we gonna do? And our waiter, he was hearing the Holy Spirit because he came out with just a little cup of grapes for Marlo, so sweet. Didn't even ask for it. He was like, these guys need some help. So brings out these grapes, we pop a grape in her mouth and the same thing happened instantly, angel, angel, like so sweet. And both of these scenarios, I remembered, oh, 
I see, I thought she was just being cranky. I was like, what is your deal, girlfriend? <laughs> I think she's just mad or just having a fit. And I remembered both times, oh, she's hungry. She's hungry. Now you gotta remember, Marlo is two and a half. And so her meltdowns, while, while they are extremely uncomfortable and they are extremely loud, and they make her seem like she's mad and upset, at the end of the day, both of those meltdowns were the result of one thing. They were a result of hunger. Somebody say hunger. Now y'all know I'm a big definitions guy, right? So I got a definition for you. It's the word hunger. Let's look at the word hunger. A feeling of discomfort or weakness caused by a lack of food coupled with the desire to eat. Now you're like, amen, that's good. That's good stuff, Pastor Jackson. What I want you to see is that hunger is tied to two things. It's not just tied to your needs, it's tied to your wants. Because, okay, let's look at that first part. Hunger is caused by a lack of food. Would you consider food, like lacking food, a problem? Yeah, because we all need food, right? Hunger is a need. But look at the second part. It's coupled with a desire to eat. Who likes food in here? Anybody desire some food? Yeah, we all like food in this room. Hunger is a natural feeling that we all experience both physically and spiritually. We all experience spiritual hunger. But when you're younger, like when you're not as mature, like my daughter Marlo, I'm not calling her immature, I'm calling her a toddler, okay? <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're immature, you, you struggle with hunger because Marlo is at the age where when she's hungry, she struggles to do two things. Number one, she struggles to recognize that she's hungry. And number two, she struggles to communicate that she's hungry. And this is why we end up with those meltdowns because she doesn't even know she's hungry and we, she can't tell us. She doesn't know how to communicate, mom, dad, I'm hungry, can you get me a snack? She struggles to recognize it and she struggles to communicate it. Now, I think that this is a physical picture of something that is taking place spiritually in the heart of every human being. I'm talking about believers and unbelievers. Christian, non-Christian, everybody is hungry for something. And so what I wanna to do tonight is I wanna tackle two things. I wanna tackle this, number one, recognizing hunger, and I wanna tackle communicating hunger. Y'all cool with that? First night of camp, you still with me tonight? Okay, okay, let's go. To do this, I wanna go back to a story that I've actually preached recently to you guys, found in Luke 24. And I've even, I've talked about it in pre-service prayer. Like I, I cannot stop coming back to this story. I love it so much. Every time I come back to it, I get some like fresh revelation from it. So sorry about you, but this is gonna sound a little familiar. So let me bring you up to speed real quick about what's happening in this story. This is the story about the two unknown disciples and they're on their way to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus. Is this ringing a bell for anybody? Okay. Now we're not gonna read the entire story, but I'd encourage you during your time here at camp to go back and to read this story, Luke 24, because it is one of my favorite passages right now. But the same day, y'all still with me, hang in with me. The same day that Jesus appeared, appeared to Mary in the garden, Jesus shows up and he starts walking with these two disciples that are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And during this journey, these two disciples have no idea that the third person that's walking with them is Jesus Christ himself. And they are sad. They're disappointed because they thought Jesus was gonna be their long awaited Messiah who was gonna overthrow the Roman empire. He was gonna be king and save the Jewish people. But that Messiah actually ended up being nailed to a cross and dying and they're sad and they're confused and they're disappointed about it. And so Jesus shows up right in their sadness. He shows up right where they're at and he starts explaining to them. Well, first he asks them, hey, what, why are you disappointed? And they tell them, well, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. And he starts doing the most amazing thing ever. He starts walking through all of the stories that those two disciples heard when they were kids. And he starts reinterpreting all of the scripture to them. And he's reminding them that, hey, the, the stories about, the, the, about that Messiah that you heard as a kid, the prophecies and Isaiah and all the books and the scrolls that you read as kids, guess what? Those were all pointing to that Jesus. 
They were all pointing to that Jesus on the cross that you're sad about. And he walks them through all of these familiar scriptures. And this is where I wanna pick up in the story. It's in verse 28. It'll be up on the screen behind me. It says this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going and he acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So look at this, he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? They were like, oh, something was happening back on that road that we didn't realize. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road? So these two disciples, they show up at their house and they just had this most, the most amazing conversation with Jesus ever and they are hungry for more of Jesus, but they don't know it yet. Charles Spurgeon says this, it's a very strong word that they constrained him. It is akin to the one Jesus used when he said the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. They not only invited him in, but they held him, they grasped him, they held his hand, they tugged at his skirts, they said he should not go. So would you agree with me that these two disciples are hungry for more of Jesus? Like they are not letting him go. It's not just like that they were like, oh, hey, you wanna come over for some dinner? This word paints the picture that they were like pulling Jesus back. They're like, no, 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 don't go, Jesus. They were hungry and something beautiful takes place. He stays with them after their hunger. Jesus doesn't stay with those two disciples because he was like, dang, this is your house? Y'all got a nice house. Okay, okay, I could stay for a little bit. That's not why Jesus stayed. Jesus didn't stay because they had a three course meal prepared for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which they should have. That's not why he stayed. No, Jesus stayed with them because they were hungry. God responds to hunger. God comes where he's wanted. If you're taking notes, write that down. God responds to hunger. God comes where he's wanted. Here's why I say that. We tend to overcomplicate things when it comes to Christianity. We tend to overcomplicate things when it comes to church. We think we've got to have all of our ducks in a row in order for God to move. Like we think, I've got to get my life all figured out and my beliefs, I've got to have all the right beliefs about God before he can move. We think uh, God's not going to show up until I've, I've like gone a certain amount of days without sinning, without looking at that thing. Then God's going to move in my life. We think God's only going to show up in a mighty way because we're at a special place like camp but he can't show up in a special way in the normal because that's not, that's not as special. There's something different there. We overcomplicate things. Now, please hear me. I believe in having good theology. We talk about that a lot at New Song students. I believe in having a pure heart and trying not to live a sinful life. We talk about that a lot at New Song students. Absolutely. I believe in having solid church programs. Like we've been, we've been planning this night for, for six months. I believe in solid programs church programs, but God doesn't show up to perfect programs with perfect people, to perfect church families. God just shows up where people really want him. And when you look at any move of God in the history of, 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 of the world, in the history of revivals, in the history of the past, I guarantee you, you will not find perfect churches, perfect church services, perfect Christians, but you know what you will find? Hungry Christians. That's where God moves. When you look back at all of the saints and all of the famous believers and Billy Graham and all these people who have shaped our world and shaped Christianity forever, you're not gonna find people who believe all the same things. You're not gonna find out that everybody that God moved through was a Calvinist or everybody that God moved through was spirit-filled or everybody that God moved through was a Presbyterian, but you will find out that everybody that God moved through really wanted God. They were just hungry for him. They'll, they were hungry for him. They recognized that they needed God. They had a need for God. And they also recognized that they had a desire for more of him. That's what you'll find. God doesn't respond to perfection. He responds to hungry hearts. And that's kind of my sermon in a sentence. So if we could just invite the band to come up again. I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Maddie just looked at me like, what? 
I couldn't help it. I had to do that. Maybe you're here tonight, though. Maybe you're here tonight, though, and you're like, that's great, Pastor Jackson. Like, that's really simple. God comes where he's wanted. But sometimes I struggle to want him. Like, maybe you're here tonight, and you're like, that's cool that God comes where he's wanted, but I don't really want God. Or maybe you do want God, or maybe you think, I should want more of God, but I just don't. Has anybody ever been there before? Can we be honest at camp tonight? That's great. That's good news that God comes where he's wanted, but there's a problem. What do you do if you don't want God? This is what I want to talk about tonight. Pete Gregg says this, billions of people wake up each day precariously balanced on a rock traveling at 66,000 miles per hour around the sun in a galaxy that itself is moving 1 million miles per hour in relationship to extragalactical, ooh, that's a good word right there, extragalactical frames of reference. Hey, follow me, this is such a good quote. Quietly, these people make themselves coffee, stare out at the dawn breaking, the dew glistening, and for the most part, barely give the maker so much of so much mystery a second thought. Their three pound brains churn through 11 million bits of information per second Their 10-ounce hearts pump five liters of blood, 100,000 miles of tubing, and yet the great giver of life demands neither allegiance, acknowledgement, nor thanks. Think about that for a second, New Song students. Everything in creation is pointing to a creator. Like, you study your body and how complex it is you will find out after just a little bit of study that one, God thought of everything and God loves you so much. Like all of creation is letting you and me know God is for you. God wants you, God loves you. All of creation is screaming that at us. But here's what's interesting. God, he did all that for us and he does not require you or me to give him any acknowledgement. He doesn't force a single person to give him the attention that he deserves. But just like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, I believe, in every single person's life will insert himself into every story. He'll insert himself into every single life, but you know what he won't do? He won't stay uninvited. But look at this, here's the answer. What do you do if you aren't hungry for God? Well, this is the answer. Everybody's hungry for God. Everybody's hungry for Jesus, but not everybody knows it's Jesus that they're hungry for. Luke 24, 32 says this, look at this. This is exactly what the disciples said. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with him on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? David Guzik says, even when they didn't know it was Jesus, even when they didn't believe he was risen from the dead, their hearts still burned because of the ministry of God's word and of Jesus, the living word. God's word can have this same effect in our hearts even when we don't know it's Jesus at work. You see, the issue isn't that you're not hungry. The issue isn't that you don't want God. The problem that you face is the same problem that my daughter Marlo faces when she's having a temper tantrum. You just don't recognize that it's God that you want and you don't have the language to communicate that it's God that you want. And this is what I wanna do tonight. I wanna help all of us recognize that everybody in the room, whether you think you do or not, we are all hungry for one person and it's Jesus. So I wanna walk through three signs of hunger. The first sign is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first sign of hunger for Jesus is sin. Because the root of every single sin can be traced back to the fact that we actually need Jesus. We, we need Jesus. We desire to know the God that created us. We desire to be loved by him. And here's the issue. We typically look at our sins and we don't look at the root. We just look at the fruit of the sin. Like we just look at the sin itself, but we don't look at what that sin is actually connected to. We don't look at the deeper issues, but it's impossible to recognize that you're hungry for God if all you look at as your sin itself. You see, we see this uh, with Jesus actually. We see Jesus going straight for the root issue 
when he has this encounter with the woman at the well. You guys familiar with this story, the woman at the well? Jesus has this encounter with her in John chapter four, and I wanna read it to you really quick, and I'll, I'll, help, you point that, I'll help you see this, but I wanna point out that he goes to the root first before addressing the fruit of sin. Look at this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I'm gonna skip down to verse nine. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered, look at this. Underline this if you have your Bible. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you what? Living water. Okay, now let's skip down to verse 15. Look at what he addresses now after addressing the living water. He says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said this, go call your husband. Uh-oh. And come here. And the woman said, uh, I have no husband, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever done that with your parents? You're like, uh, maybe? Depends on how you react to what I did. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying that I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So Jesus, the first thing that he does, what I want you to see is he addresses the root of this woman's issues, not the fact that she's been through five broken marriages and that the person, person she's with now, she's not married with and she's sleeping with him. That's an issue, but that's not what Jesus goes at first. The first thing Jesus gets to is the root. And he says that the root is that you need living water and you're trying to look for it in all of these men and these marriages that are breaking, but you're still thirsty. So he attacks the root first and he says that what she really wants is Jesus, not those marriages. So he's attacking the root first. And then look at what he says. Jesus goes to the fruit, and he starts addressing her sin. This is the huge difference between conviction of sin and feeling condemnation because of your sin. Because um, when you feel uh, conviction for your sin, you know what conviction of sin does? It looks at the root and then it looks at the fruit. So conviction of sin says, okay, here's the sin I'm struggling with, but the root is that I need Jesus. The root is that I'm not getting satisfied in Jesus, but I'm not broken. I'm not, I'm flawed, I'm sinful, but God can still use me. Condemnation though, only looks at the fruit of sin without looking and taking any consideration to God and what he can do. All you can see is the thing you're doing and that's it and how bad you feel. So if you're here tonight and you're struggling with a deep rooted sin, I've, I've been there before. I think all of us can agree. We've been there before. If you're here and you're struggling with a deep-rooted sin, I don't care what it is, whether it's pornography, whether it's lust or gossip or bullying or lying or drinking, I'm here to help you recognize that that sin that you keep going back to is proof that you're not getting the living water you need. That sin is proof that you're hungry for Jesus. It's proof. The first thing that we recognize is that sin, our sin in our life is proof that we need more of Jesus, it's proof that you're hungry for him. The second sign of hunger is this, discontentment. What is that? Discontentment is dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. And this is exactly where the two disciples on the road to Emmaus found themselves. They are disappointed, they are sad dissatisfied with what they saw on the cross. Dare I go as far as to say that they're depressed. They're feeling low and they're thinking these thoughts as they're walking to Emmaus. Is that really it? Like all of this buildup with the ministry of Jesus and for that, like there has to be more. Maybe you're here tonight and you've struggled with like depressive thoughts and you have similar thoughts like that. Like, is this it? Like to life, is this, it? is this really it? Like we're just on a floating rock in space and I'm gonna go to work for the rest of my life and eventually die and is this really it? I've had thoughts like that before. You think to yourself, Mike, there has to be more to this. Well, New Song students, the good news is that there is more. 
There is more. There's so much more. In fact, you have not fully tapped into all that God has for you. You definitely have not fully tapped into all who God is yet in your life. And so the fact that you're dissatisfied and you're saying there has to be more is proof that you are hungry for Jesus. Because Jesus is a, a wellspring flowing up inside of you of rivers of living water that never run dry. So your dissatisfaction is a sign of your hunger. And the last sign is this, it's a burning heart. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? So what is a burning heart? Well, a burning heart is that feeling like you're in a message. Maybe you're at church on the weekends. Maybe you're here right now tonight and somebody's preaching to you and you are like, they are talking right to me right now. Like you're hearing the word preached and it feels like you are the only person in the room and God is talking directly to you. That's a burning heart. It's that feeling that when the altar ministry is, they're giving you a chance to come up and to pray, you feel like something tugging on your heart. That's the burning heart. It's that, it's that feeling, if you've ever experienced it, when you're in your car and you put on worship music and everything's just normal, but then all of a sudden, like the presence of God just invades your car and you're like, whoa. God is here. It's a burning heart. And these are signs that you are hungry for something more. You're hungry for Jesus. You're hungry for something that only Jesus can offer you. And sin and discontentment and a burning heart are things that when we, when we recognize that that's hunger inside of us, we can do something about it. But here's the issue with hunger. And I think you would all agree with me. Hunger is uncomfortable, right? Does anybody enjoy being hungry? No. That's why during the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're all fasting and we don't look very glorious. Like we're all complaining about how hard it is, right? It's because being hungry is uncomfortable. And so the temptation in our life is when we feel hungry to do something about it, to, to try and stop feeling that way. And so what I wanna talk about really quickly is I wanna talk about three things that we try to do in our life to avoid that feeling that there's more, that gap in our life when we're not getting what we want. And that's this, there's three things that we do to avoid hunger. We avoid hunger with noise, with pride, and with the spectacular. Let me get to this, all right? Noise, pride, and the spectacular. Noise, I think we would all agree that we live in a really distracting time in history. Like there's a lot of noise in our world. And um, I think sometimes we don't wanna feel uncomfortable. And so um, the first thing we do, we're so uncomfortable with quiet that the first thing we do when we get in our car is we, we throw on the music. Uh, Cause we don't wanna be stuck in our thoughts cause our thoughts are bad. And so we just keep the noise going and uh, we doom scroll. Anybody guilty of doom scrolling in here? Yeah, okay, we could be honest in church, all right? We doom scroll. We, uh, when we have an issue, we go to Google first. We're like, am I gonna die from this cut that I just got? <laughs> we go to Google first. We go to our peers for advice before waiting on the Lord. Just noise. Our life is filled with noise. And, and our life is so noisy that we can't hear the hunger of our spirit rumbling we can't realize that our spirit is malnourished. Pride is the second thing. Pride is this. This is when you simply go, I'm not hungry for Jesus. Like, I don't need Jesus. Like, I think I can figure this out. Like, I've got, I got my, my, my plan. I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna get a degree in engineering and I'm gonna go make money and maybe I'll try the Jesus thing later when I, when I graduate. And we think we've got it all figured out. It's pride. And it keeps us from feeling the hunger that our spirit is groaning. The third is this, and this one's tricky, but it's the spectacular. We drown out the hunger of our spirit with the spectacular. And this is, this is the tricky one because the heart behind it looks good, but it's missing the point. It's when we look for Jesus um, in, in anything that is spectacular. It's like really big, awesome church services. Uh, really good relationships with people, a good movie. We look, at, we look for um, the spectacular to like numb our hunger, but we don't look to Jesus in the normal, 
average, mundane, boring parts of our life, which I hate to break it to you, but that's gonna be the most, <laughs> the most parts of your life, the average, the Tuesdays, the Thursdays when you're at school. And what happens if you only think you can see Jesus in the spectacular? You're not gonna be looking for him in the mundane, in the normal. New Song students, where, where would you find yourself? Where would you say you are on that list tonight? Is your life too noisy that you can't even tell that you're hungry for Jesus? Are you too proud to admit that you do need more of Jesus, that you're weak, that you need Jesus? Or do you struggle with only seeing Jesus in the spectacular? You only look for him at New Song students on a Wednesday night. You only look for him at church when you're, when you're hearing a message, but you don't look for him when you're at your house on a Thursday night in your room. Jesus wants to show up in those moments because here's the interesting thing about the kingdom of God, the backwards mentality of the kingdom of God. I love the way John Tyson puts it. He says this, the gap is the gift. The gap is the gift. And what that means is that hunger that you feel, the gap of hunger when, you're, when your needs aren't being met yet, when your circumstances aren't right yet, when you don't have what you want yet, that is actually the gift right there. That's the gift. And because, listen to me, I wanna go back to what we talked about at the start of the message. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Camp will not be able to sustain your walk with God, but hunger will. Camp will not be able to sustain your walk with God a month from now, but if you're hungry for him, that will. If you're hungry, if you recognize that you're hungry, you will keep coming back to him. I came across this poem this week and I wanted to read it to you. I think it's really beautiful. It's from Edna St. Vincent Millay. We got a lot of good names in this message. Alphonse Castellana, St. Vincent Millay. But I love this poem. Check this out. It says, I drank at every vine. The last was like the first. I came upon no wine so wonderful as thirst. I gnawed at every root, I ate at every plant. I came upon no fruit so wonderful as want. Feed from the grape and the bean to the vinter and the monger, I will lie down and lean with my thirst and my hunger. So it's talking about the fact that, man, I've tried it all and thirst and hunger for God is what I found is the best place to lean in on. I've had everything the world has to offer and it's just left me wanting more of Jesus, thirsting for more of Jesus. Does anybody feel that tonight, New Song students? See, hunger uh, for God is, is something we all experience, but it's not something we might feel necessarily. Like you might not feel like you're hungry for Jesus right now, but there's a way you can cultivate that hunger. So I wanna, I wanna get ready to close with this. Three ways you can cultivate hunger. The first is this, it's through silence. It's through silence. And this is uh, not, not like a metaphorical silence. I'm talking about quiet, like being quiet, silencing yourself, turning off your phone, turning off the show, the music, the noise of your life so that you can actually feel the feeling of hunger in your heart. Dallas Willard says this, total silence is rare. And what we, what we today call quiet usually only amounts to a little less noise. Many people have never experienced silence and they don't even know what to do or what it is. Our households and our offices are filled with the whirling and the buzzing and the murmuring and the chattering and the whining of multiple contraptions that are supposed to make our life easier. Their noise comforts us in some curious way. In fact, we find complete silence shocking because it leaves us with the impression that nothing is happening. See, silence is a spiritual discipline that is kind of dying away right now um, because we like the way of church that is loud and it's exciting and it's spectacular and there's lights and there's fog and there's a band, but this Spiritual discipline of silence is something that believers have done for generations and generations. You see this with Jesus. Jesus, he would often do what? He would withdraw to lonely places to, to pray, to be silent. And I wanted to share this story. I'm not gonna have time to go through it. I'll try and paraphrase it really quickly, but it's in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's with the prophet Elijah. And this, this story is so awesome. Elijah, he's trying to confront um, big bad King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. And he does this by 
um, by uh, trying to officiate a duel against the prophets of Baal. There's 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah's like, I'll take y'all. Let's go on for a duel. My God versus your God. And so if you know the story, the prophets of Baal, they try to call down fire. They're like cutting themselves. It's super weird and nothing happens. And Elijah looks at them and he's like, maybe Baal's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a poop and he's too busy. And then Elijah prays, calls down fire and God shows up in a spectacular way. But then Jezebel gets so mad at, at Elijah, she threatens to kill him. And even though he wasn't afraid of 450 prophets of Baal, he's afraid of Jezebel. And he runs out into the wilderness. He's terrified. He thinks he's going to die. He's so depressed that he asks that God would kill him. And in this moment, something interesting happens. He's on the mountain. He's on the same mountain that God met Moses with, the presence of God and the lightning and the clouds. And God shows up and there's fire and there's an earthquake and there's wind. But then he comes to Elijah and he says, I wasn't in the wind. I wasn't in the fire. I wasn't in the earthquake. And Elijah hears a still small voice in his spirit. And God says, that's me. I'm in the still small whisper. And what I want us to, to recognize, we're gonna actually practice this spiritual discipline a little bit tonight. We're gonna practice it tomorrow during midday session. But I wanna... I want us to learn the art of being silent before the Lord and recognizing that I love the spectacular. I love like, dude, worship tonight, spectacular, right? We are so blessed. But is that the way you think God only speaks to you? Or can he speak to you when you just be quiet before him? And you don't have some fancy prayer to play, pray. You just, here I am, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Do you believe God can speak to you in that? I do. The second thing is this. I want to invite the band to come up. The second thing that we can cultivate hunger through is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And this one is, is really simple. It's pretty self-explanatory. And so I just want to ask you, what needs to be laid down at the altar tonight, New Song students? What in your life is just fluff and it's really adding zero value to your life, but you, you give it more thought. Like you give it so much thought, like it does add value, but really it's just noise. It's just distraction to your life. It's actually keeping you from feeling the hunger that your spirit has for Jesus. What do you need to sacrifice tonight? What are you finding comfort in that you need to be finding comfort in God from? What do you gravitate towards when you're feeling your worst when, when you should be gravitating towards being quiet before the Lord. And the last thing is this, it's this, it's the Maranatha cry that we've been talking about this whole night. It's invite, number three, invite. We're gonna do this in just a second because Jesus will interject himself into every single story. Uh, he did that with Paul. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with his conversion. God showed up in a powerful way for Paul's life. Um, he did that with the road, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's done that in your life. He's done it in my life where Jesus shows up and interjects himself in, but Jesus will not stay uninvited. Look at what Jesus says in Revelations chapter three, verse 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus also goes on to say in scripture, you have not because you you have not because you, you haven't asked. And so what I wanna do tonight is really simple. Um, and at first I thought it was kind of weird that we didn't have any music yet, but I actually think it's perfect. So thank you guys for taking your time. What I wanna do is I wanna quiet ourselves before the band plays, um, because I think we are tied too much to the piano keys that make us feel the feelings, the lights that make us feel like the presence of God is here. But do you believe that God is here New Song students? So what I wanna to do tonight is we're just gonna get quiet for a second. And man, it's so funny. I felt the pressure tonight. I felt like, man, okay, what's gonna be the altar call that just makes everybody weep and cry? But man, is that what determines God's presence being here or not? Or is it his voice in our spirit? So what I want us to do is, I love that the lights are on right now. We're just gonna, in this moment where it doesn't seem spiritual, but God is in this place, we're gonna quiet ourselves. It might be awkward for you, it might be difficult. 
your thoughts might be going crazy, but I wanna stretch us a little bit and we're just gonna quiet ourselves before the Lord for a second and just say, come Lord Jesus. So you can close your eyes if you want to, if that would help you keep out the distractions. You can look down, whatever you wanna do, but we're just gonna get quiet for like a couple minutes. And if you wanna say this in your heart, just say, Holy Spirit, speak. Come Lord Jesus. moment you might feel the pressure to like make something happen you might feel the pressure to like create a feeling but we're not after a feeling new song students this is not about conjuring up a feeling or an emotion this is about being still before the lord you don't have to say a prayer you don't have to do anything just say come lord jesus and wait Holy Spirit, I thank you that sometimes you speak with the lights off and the fog and the big LED screen. And sometimes you speak in big spectacular ways, but God, you wanna, you wanna speak to us at all times. And that means that we don't need this room. We don't need a big fancy service to encounter your love, to hear your voice. Because we believe that you speak in the still, small whisper in our spirit. And so God, as we just enter into the rest of camp, Lord, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that you would help us strip away the fluff until all we see is you. Come, Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and your expectations for camp, for camp were so low. If that's you, I've been there before. I wanna challenge you. Maybe you're gonna try and look for something to prove that God is in the room. You're gonna look for something, a feeling to prove that God is talking to you, that something's happening. Can I just encourage you, if your expectations are low, there's a reason why it's called faith. And God is just inviting you. He's saying, would you please just trust me tonight? Would you stop looking for me in the spectacular? Would you stop trying to prove? And would you trust that I love you, that I have a plan for you, that I have a purpose for your life? Would you come to me? If you're here tonight and you're also like me in my past, you, you, your expectations are so high and, and you think that in this three-day camp experience that, that God's gonna check everything on your list and you're gonna go home struggle-free, can I just encourage you? Like God's gonna move this week, but I think what he really just wants to do is to teach you to have a Maranatha cry. 
like to really just simplify your walk with him and just like have a heart that says, Lord, come Lord Jesus in everything that I do. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way you're speaking to every heart. I believe that you may not know it's the Lord talking to you right now, but there's maybe things coming to your mind, things you need to sacrifice tonight, some pride in your heart. Maybe he revealed to you that you, you do only look for him in the spectacular. You don't look for him in the mundane, in the normal, in the average. Whatever is coming up in your heart, I wanna give everybody a chance to respond to that in just a second. So we can get the lights down and we're gonna get ready to respond. The, the worship band's gonna play quietly behind me. Um, but if that's you tonight and one of those three areas maybe struck a chord with you, like maybe your life, if you would just be honest, it's too noisy. Like there is no, there's not even margin for the voice of God in your life. And there's just something that you wanna bring down to the altar. It's like spiritually, and you just wanna leave it here and not take it home so that you can open up your, vo your, your life for the voice of God. I wanna invite you to do that. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to, what you need to lay down at the altar tonight is your pride. And maybe you need to say like, Jesus, I really do need you. Like I've been playing church, I wanna give you my life. I wanna give you my all, I wanna make that decision tonight at camp. Or maybe you're here tonight and you just, you have only been looking for the voice of God in, in a pastor, in a service, through a feeling. Like you, you don't think you felt like the Lord moved unless you cry. <laughs> That's your gauge for the presence of God. And can I just tell you, like God speaks in so many different ways and he wants to speak to you always. So I'm gonna to count to three. And if that's you for any of those reasons, I wanna invite you to come down and to just lay that at the altar tonight. And our leaders are gonna get ready. They're gonna pray for you. They're gonna lay hands on you. And we're not gonna look for a feeling. We're not gonna look for, a, like if you cry down here, praise God. But if you don't, you don't need to come back to your seat and think, man, God didn't do anything tonight. Because what you're doing right now is on a spiritual level. You're laying down something at this altar and you're not gonna take it home with you after camp. You're gonna lay down something and you're gonna pick up a Maranatha cry that says, come Lord Jesus. So I'm gonna count to three and if that's you, any of those things, I want you to come down and just lay it down at the altar. One, two, three. If that's you, come down to the altar. And you can bow, you can do whatever, lift your hands. But we're just gonna spend some time in worship, lingering 